to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Uh, today we're going to be in Psalm 27. If you want to go ahead and get there while I get all my gadgets out, Psalm 27. And um, it should be up on the screen there too if you need. Um. So I wanted to, to we'll, we'll read the psalm here in just a minute, but a couple of things um, about, about today and, and kind of recapping on where we've been this summer, if, if you haven't been with us. Um, you know, we've been going through the psalms, uh, just select psalms to kind of bring out different themes. Um, Sankey has, has gone through several, um, and then Tyler came in with one. So we've, the last few weeks, we've really focused on David in Psalm 51, uh, which is his confession and his repentance psalm after his sin with Bathsheba and then uh, the murder of Bathsheba's husband. And so uh, today we'll move to Psalm 27. It's a little, a little different um, context, and we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, let, me, let me start out with uh, prayer, and then we'll, we'll jump into reading the, the passage together. Uh, I'll pray first. Uh, Lord, we come to you, Lord, and we know, um, as the song said, and as you'll see even in this passage, not about our own sin, but as, as it will reveal to us, Lord, that our sin is great, but your grace is greater. Um, and Lord, we know uh, that you are a God who loves us and um, cares for us deeply. And so, God, as we look at these things today and think about them and um, glorify you, God. We, we want you to be praised above all. Um, and uh, please speak to us in your word. God, we pray. Amen. So go to Psalm 27. I'll read it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is David talking. When evildoers assail me, to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. This verse 4 here is a key one. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you have, who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So as you can read from the, if a lot of the, the Bibles will say for the heading that the Lord is my light and salvation. So this is a sermon that focuses on confidence and courage in the Christian life. And so it's not about salvation. It's not about forgiveness of sin, technically. Um, it's, it's more about us who have been saved. And as we go through this life 
and hit all these struggles, these battles, and, and these soul trials that we'll go through. It's a, and it's a lot bigger, um, I'll say, than, than what I will make of it today. So anything I say is going to be insufficient. Um, as, I, as I read this song, as you read it, um, just to explain it, he, he speaks of really big things. The, the things that I'll, I'll say today are, are we're going to talk a whole lot about fears, panic, uh, all these other things like that. Um, and this psalm is, is, is bigger than all those. Um, it speaks to your very soul and all the soul trials that you will encounter as you live out your Christian life. Um, and so, yeah, I just do want to say kind of at the, the front of this that, that I'm going to bring up some issues during this sermon, and everybody has their own issues and situations and circumstances in life, and I am inadequate to address your problems. Um, I truly am. And so as you're thinking this through this, as we, as we look at God's word, thinking about your own life, the words I say are going to be inadequate, but God's word, his Holy Spirit has the power to work through his word in your heart to help you with those situations, those things you're struggling with. Um, and I want, I want to mention a couple things to kind of prep the sermon. I kind of caution and ask for your grace for the things that I say um, to not hear me wrongly in the sermon, um, because I'm going to talk about different things like fear, uh, fear, panic, phobias, cowardice, PTSD, uh, physiological mental problems like panic attacks, anxiety, oppositions against you, attacks, dread, afflictions, other things. And some of these, some of these issues you deal with, they may be from your own sins. Some of them may not be from your own sins. Um, they may be issues that are because you live in a fallen world and we have fallen bodies and fallen minds. They, they may be things that you've brought on yourself, but they may not be. And so be careful as I speak um, to hear me and give me some grace on the way that I say them. I'll do my best to say these things in a way that's treating each issue well. Um, and you personally may not know your issue and if it is from your own sin and if it is just from living in a fallen world, um, if it's something someone has done to you or um, said to you, these different things you may struggle with. And this is a time that you can reflect on this and ask the Lord because he, he may reveal those things to you and give you further insight on it. Um, so we'll get into the Psalm here as you look at the text. Um, and I think Sankey will be scrolling through it. Sankey, I'll probably forget to hit the clicker. I've already done that. So, um, But this psalm is David talking. Uh, we don't know the specific event in his life that caused him to write this psalm. Um, it may have been that he was running from Saul uh, or Absalom. You know, his son turned on him and, and tried to kill him. So it may have been one of those events. But commentators don't know. Evildoers, adversaries, foes, war, army, day of trouble, false witnesses, all of these things are in this passage. Um, and even his own parents are mentioned in this passage as uh, ones that have forsaken him. And so these are things that we know are very real to David, but we don't know the exact context of, of what he's talking about, just things that he's gone through. Um, but these are real things and not theoretical for David, real struggles he's gone, gone through. Uh, yeah, at one point, he even begs God not to forsake him. Um, and that's how real the opposition is, that it puts him in a place where he's asking God to not forsake him. Um, he's real and honest about the struggles in his life and the armies against him, um, the evil around him, which, you know, living in Tulsa is actually something a lot of people would probably be against, speaking some of these things that David says. The word of faith type people say, don't speak such and such evil, don't say cancer, you know, or, or these things will come true. Um, David pretty much spells it out slowly of all of these things that are against him. He's not afraid of that. And so I, th I think there's something special and um, God-given about a person who can look at the evil in life and stare at it, and the evil in their own life and stare at it, name it, um, and have the courage and confidence to, to, to fight against that and, and to stand firm. Um, this, this psalm is not about conviction of sin, repentance, confession, like we saw in Psalm 51. Um, David was a believer working through some horrific 
sin in that situation, things that he uh, did and was repenting of. Um, this is more of a believer and the things that we will struggle with because we're all going to go through trials. Um, we're not necessarily promised that we will be um, rescued from never having trials in our days, but we, we will be helped through them. Um, it's also, this psalm is really good. If you think about it as we're reading it, it's very, it's very much like David talking to himself. Um, a lot of it's him talking to himself, like self-talk, self-meditation. And then the other parts of it are like him praying. So there's prayer and then self-talk. Um, and it, some of you guys have probably heard or maybe even read from Augustine before. Uh, he was a guy that lived a few hundred years after Jesus died. Um, but he, he, uh, he has a book called Confessions, which I recommend. I'm reading through it right now. Um, it's pretty deep, but, but it, uh, it's, it's kind of like his journal. So it's called Confessions. So you'd think, well, it's all his sins, but it's really more of like his journal, kind of things that he struggled with and he's talking them out. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of like he's telling his inner, inner voice about why he did certain things in his life and looking back on his childhood. And, um, and this, this psalm is a lot like that. David's almost journaling, if you will. Um, and through parts of the psalm, it's like he reaches the end of what he knows to do with the thing, and so he prays. Uh, I find myself when I journal, which isn't very much, but when I do, often I, I'm writing out things, and at the end of it, I was like, God, help me, because I don't know what to do about this problem. Um, and so that's a little bit of what this psalm is like as you read it. Um, and so uh, let, me, let me catch up where my notes were. Um, so, you know, the one that Tyler preached on was Psalm 51 was just straight prayer. This, this, at least this first part of this one is a lot of self-talk. And that's important um, to think about because each one of you, all of us, are talking to ourselves all the time. Uh, we have mental talk happening uh, in every situation of our life. And our conscience is telling us this is good or this is bad. Our convictions guide us. And so we're, we need to know how to talk to ourselves well. And David is going to help you in this psalm to do that. Um, and so, you know, this, this, this psalm is good for us to look at and, and to be like David in, in this way. Um, it's something that we should imitate. Um, also looking at, you know, Paul in the New Testament, there was things that he even told others, hey, imitate me in this. This is an area that I'm strong in. It wasn't boastful, but it was um, something of basically like discipleship. Um, and so we should all be looking for those men, women, um, people in our lives that can help us grow in areas that we feel weak in. And, uh, and this is a time we can listen to David and, and learn some from him. Um, because, you know, if you think about people you know, even someone who you would consider maybe really immature, maybe even one of your own kids, there's sometimes where they may have some sort of a faith statement that comes out and you're just overwhelmed and, and they seem light years farther than you in, in their faith and they're five, seven, nine. Um, and so there's even someone who is immature and saying things to you in a way that's not, not, you feel is like not right necessarily all the way, but there's some mix of truth in it. Um, we, we can learn from, from nearly everyone. And so consider, you know, who, who you're listening to, um, being discipled by, um, and I'll say just for me, listening to the Psalms, I do a lot of audio Bible. Uh, a few years ago, I, and a lot, there's been times where I, I was really struggling with some things that would keep me up at night. Um, and I just didn't know how to deal with them. And I would flip on the audio Bible of the Psalms and just listen to David and how he deals with stuff. That's one of, I felt like one of the most helpful things with the Psalms is just listening to how David deals with things. And I see how I'm dealing with him. And it's not even close. Like maybe his desire is so so... Um, rich for the Lord and mine, like I, 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 I got nothing, you know? And so it's convicting. And a lot of times it makes me feel really small. And that smallness is good for me because I know it exalts God in my sight. Um, it, it humbles me and, and makes me want to press on and, and be more faithful and uh, learn more ways. And I love that. Um, God, God rewards that when you, when you cling to that. Um, verses one through three, if you look at it, there's several things against David, if you look at the verse there. Um, evildoers eating up his flesh. You ever had that? 
It's kind of a harsh description. Adversaries, foes, armies, war. Um, these are pretty astronomical things against David. Um, and the point of this psalm and the point of me bringing this up, what was against him, and you're thinking about what's in your life, you're like, maybe it's just, you know, something small, is not to say that, you know, look at your small stuff, you're, you're a pansy, you know, David went through this, you, you, can, you can do, you know, your little thing. That's not the point. Uh, the point is, whatever things you're dealing with, we need to take them to God. We need to take that to God like David does, and you'll see more of what he does in this psalm with that. Um, and I would say that even in saying, take it to God, um, I, I want to clarify that that could look many different ways. Um, I'm often frustrated when people, when I'm struggling with something and I share and they, they throw some cliche little, you know, trust God more little thing at me. Um, because a lot of times it's like, I don't know what to do with that. I'm asking for a little more. Like, you know, maybe you're in a pit and you can't see anything. It's black. Somebody drops your rope. They're like, grab the rope. You're like, I can't see the rope. You know, you need the light shined on the rope to be able to see it. And sometimes I feel like in a lot of Christian circles, the, you know, the, the point we could go here is just, you know, be like David, trust God more, you know. But David doesn't do that. He, he talks, talks it out, and he may not talk it out to your specific issue, but what does he say here with all of these things against him? Um, he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So he goes to things that he knows about God. Um, he's saying, I have the power of the creator on my side. Um, and, and so he, he's for me. He's, he also says he's like a fortress. He's like a refuge, right? Um, so he specifically preaches, talks to himself about things he knows about God more than the things he knows about the situation that he's in, right? Um, so what words can you think about to describe how God is on your side? So David uses stronghold. Um, when I'm afraid of blank, God is like a fortress. And I want to say, listen to uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, Hebrews 11 and 6, it won't be up there, but it says it's about faith. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him being God. For whoever would draw near to God must, number one, believe that he exists, and number two, that, that he rewards those who seek him. And so think of that. True faith is more than just mental belief in God. It's trusting that God is for you, that he's going to reward you, that he's on your side, no matter what the issue is you're going through. And so if you're thinking, you know, I, I feel like a lot of times in the church and in our culture, the word faith is thrown out. Um, and I think that maybe the word trust might be a better cultural word um, because it, it, it says two things. It says, I know not only do I believe in this thing, but I also trust in this. You know, I believe in this God. I trust in this God. Um, he's for me. He's going to reward me no matter what difficulties I'm going through. There will be reward for me and I'll be with him. Um, and so thinking through that of what, how, what kind of self-talk you, you know, you're, you're doing um, is important. And this is what David's doing. He's preaching to himself uh, his own theology, what he views about God, how he believes in God. So look at what he says in verse one. He says, whom shall I fear? So this is, this is the way David talks to himself. Number one, whom shall I fear? Wh who am I going to be afraid of, right? And then he says also in verse one, of whom shall I be afraid? And in verse three, my heart shall not fear. And also, yet I will be confident. So this is how he talks to himself amidst this. And then he goes on to say, I'm not going to fall. My enemies are going to stumble and fall. And, and he knows that this will be the case, whether now or in the end, uh, God's justice will prevail. Um, and so you just feel that Hebrews concept of David, you know, of trust coming out in what David says. Um, and now maybe you object with this, with what David's saying, uh, that's good for David to have that strong, that strong ability to do that. Um, but whenever I struggle with certain fears and things that I deal with, um, I don't think about the types of things that David thinks about. 
Um, my mind goes to other places. And so I, I would maybe just say to you on this um, that maybe, maybe you should memorize scripture. Um, that way, you know, what comes out in those moments is actively on your mind. Um, it's called the sword of the spirit. The word of God is called the sword of the spirit for a reason. And it's more than just a therapeutic repetition of words. And I, a lot of times I think that when I'm memorizing scripture, I'm thinking I'm just memorizing words. But then you get in a situation that pops out and becomes real. And so don't think whatever stock you're putting into it in your, you know, in your study time, the Lord may use that. It's his word is powerful. And David obviously has specific fears in his life that flash in front of his mind and he preaches truth to himself and then he refutes the fear. So verse one, he says, God lights the way basically, right? Verse one also, God saves me and he's the stronghold. Who shall I be afraid of? Verse two, there's flesh eating enemies after me. Uh, they will fall, not me. Verse three, there's an army against me. I'm not gonna let my heart be taken. There's war against me. I will be confident through that. And I'm gonna skip over verse four. It's kind of like really something we'll come to at the very end. Um, and we're gonna jump to five for a few minutes. If you look at verse five, um, I'll read that. It says, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. So verse five, so he's basically saying someday there's gonna be doom. It's gonna come. So he's projecting that in his future. He knows, but God will protect me. He projects God there protecting him. Verse six, I'll be rescued and then I'll even be uplifted enough to sing and offer sacrifice to God. Like you're probably not gonna be singing and wanting to serve when you're in the middle of oppression and a storm, right? You don't really have the opportunity. Um, you'd be maybe in a season of oppression, but you, he's already projecting, man, I'm gonna be rescued and I'm gonna serve God in that time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna you know, have this hope. He's, see, he's projecting hope. Um, and you know, think about hope. That word um, is really just future trust in God for future grace. He's got grace ahead of you and you're trusting in that. It's gonna happen. So think of, think of hope that way. Um, I do wanna mention the rest of the chapter a little bit um, and how this focuses, what, um, uh, kind of focus on the rest of the chapter for, for a minute, few minutes and then come back to verse four, like I mentioned. But as a review, we've seen David express his, his uh, dark oppressions and he's determined in his mind that God will save him, right? Verses seven through 10, if you look at that, it move, moves from David talking to himself to David talking to God, to prayer. It's, it's that part in your journal where you reach the end of yourself and how you can deal with an issue and how you can cope with it and you collapse into prayer. You call on God to make, make it happen. He asked God in verse seven for, for more grace. What does he say? He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Then he states that God wants him to seek his face. And, and then he says, God, I do seek your face. I am, I'm following you. Um, then he goes to a little bit of a strange place uh, in verse nine. So if you look at that with me, verse nine, it's a little strange when you first read it because you're like, man, he's so faithful, so confident. And all of a sudden now look what he talks about. He says, basically, don't hide from me, God. Don't be angry at, angry at me and turn away. Don't cast me off. Don't forsake me. And so when you're in the middle of something, isn't that where your mind often goes is that, God doesn't even seem near to me, right? And so David's kind of going there. So why? Um, why, would, why would David go there? He's been so faithful up to this point and the things he's saying. And then shortly after that, after verse nine, he kind of resolves everything again, like the tension of a song that builds up and then it just kind of gets peaceful. Look what he says. Uh, he brings his own mom and dad into the picture. He says, for my father and mother have forsaken me. And then he resolves it. He says, but the Lord will take me in. So he's kind of back to speaking faith, faithfully there of, of, what, of, of what God will do for him. And as you study this, like thinking about his mom and dad forsaking him, um, we don't have any record of David's parents um, 
in being like leaving him or forsaking him. There's nothing in the scriptures. And so he might've just been talking about the fact that his parents died. Um, and that feels like they've gone and I have, I don't have them here anymore. I've lost even those who are closest to me. I should be able to depend on. Um, or maybe he's just saying, even if my parents forsake me in general, you know, the, our parents should be those who we are able to trust in the most. Um, and even if they forsake me, like I know God will not. So there's this rock solid faith. Um, so we don't know exactly what he's speaking to there, but basically I have you, God, more than I have them. And that's the point. His prayer here in seven through 10 is that God would not forsake him. And he is resolved at the end to hold fast to the idea that God will not forsake him, right? So his confidence seems to really be back again in this part of the passage. But get this, David loops back again in verse 12 to more oppression happening again. If you see that, verse 12, give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have arisen against me and they breathe out violence. Um, and so he, he keeps bringing up these, these themes of God forsaking him, adversaries against him, um, his parents forsaking, these different things. Um, and I want to I talk for a minute about how David, when David says things like this, listen, um, when he says, turn not your servant away in anger, when he says like, don't forsake me, God, when he says those things, he's asking God to not forsake him. He's really showing his dependence on God's grace and mercy. Grace is a gift, right? It's an unearned favor, right? It's not something you can do to, to get. Mercy right, is not getting what we deserve. So wrath is against us or for our sins. God withholds that. Instead of punishing us for what we've done wrong, he does not do that. Grace is a gift. Um, and it's in these prayers where David's saying, don't forsake me, don't cast me off, don't be angry at, at me. It's in these prayers that, that, that David's showing how much his heart depends on God's mercy and grace. If you see somebody who's entitled, living like they're owed by God or by others, it's a sure sign that there's somebody who's rejecting mercy and grace, right? And, and we all live in that from day to day, moment to moment at times. We do this more on some days than others. And unbelievers, they reject God's mercy and grace their whole life. Um, that, that's a constant theme of rejection of God's grace and mercy. Job's wife, you guys remember Job and how all of this stuff happened. Basically what happened to Job was everything was stripped from him. And what does Job's wife say to him? She's like, curse God and die. Um, like he, he's cursed you, like you curse him. And, and, and what, is, what, is, what, is he, what does Job say back? Um, not that, right? He's like, naked have I come, naked will I go, blessed be the Lord, no matter what he brings. Um, thinking about mercy and grace on your life, other people's lives. Judas, uh, when, when Judas uh, sinned against Christ and betrayed him, um, you know, Jesus would have forgiven him had he gone to Jesus with repentance, but what did he do? He rejected God's mercy. And instead of letting, you know, Jesus says, you just did that to me. I'm going to die for you on the cross. I'll be punished for what you've done. And what does Judas do? He, he's like, no, I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to go kill myself. Self-justification. And that's what we do. We, 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 we self-justify. Um, and that's, that's how Judas responds. Um, he hangs himself, self-justification. So David here is saying, don't forsake me, God. He's, he's, he's asking God to be near to him. Um, and listen, Jesus chose to be forsaken by his father, right? Willing choice. 
The deal that the Father and the Son made was that Jesus would be forsaken by mankind and punished for their sins. We deserve God to forsake us or to turn his face from us for all of eternity, right? And Jesus willingly does that for us of his own accord. He went more willingly to the punishment that you deserved on the cross than you ever have gone to his forgiveness, any of us. Thomas Watson said, Christ went more willingly to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. On the cross, when Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? Right? He's up there before he dies. Why have you forsaken me, God? He's talking to his father. This, you know, this wasn't just an emotional moment for him. Um, it wasn't just an emotion that Jesus had. It was the first time in all of eternity that Jesus was totally abandoned and out of friendship with his father. And there's something in that that all of us will continue to stare at for all of eternity that we'll probably never totally comprehend. Especially this, this, this willingness on Jesus' part. You know, Jesus was the eternal, infinite son, eternal, infinite God. His willingness to say, I'm going to be forsaken for a moment. And I say a moment because, you know, think about it. There's two ways that sin is punished. Your sin is punished. It's either Jesus took it on the cross and then died in that punishment for that period of time, or it's you being punished for your sin for all of eternity. And I, I know you may have thought of this, and I had to struggle a lot too. Like how, how is that short amount of time Jesus died on the cross pay for an eternity of my sin? A lot of difference in time span. And just like the song we sang earlier, uh, our sin was deep, our sin was great, but his grace was greater and deeper. What he did on the cross, the value of Jesus and him dying on the cross far outweighs the, 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 the evil of your sin. And so his momentary suffering and death on the cross can pay not only for all of your sins, for all of eternity, but also millions of people who come to him. So it's expansive. And so think of Romans 5. By one man's sin, many were made sinners. Yeah, Adam's sin. Therefore, everyone after is born into this world sinful. Yet by one man's obedience, Jesus, by him being obedient to death on the cross, many will be made righteous. And so that's the offer, right? What Jesus chose to be forsaken of is so that you can be included in um, communion with, with God. And so whatever he experienced on the cross was actually far worse and deeper than what you would have experienced for eternity in hell. Do you get that? Because I don't. <laughs> uh, it's it's, it's mind-blowing. It really is. And we'll, I don't know that we'll ever really understand it. Um, but there's a depth there that we should, we should think through and cling to. And so what David is doing here, when he said, don't cast me off, don't push me away, don't be angry at me, he, he knows he deserves God's punishment. Um, he also knows he's been forgiven. Um, and he's just, out, he's coming back, you know, just think about a father and a child. They do, disobey, you spank them. And a lot of times it's so sweet, they come back and you end in hugs because they're coming back to cling to you because they know they've done wrong. They know you love them and the arms are open wide there. Um, and so look at what David's doing. He's, he's asking for more, fully knowing that he just doesn't deserve any more grace and mercy. So you get that, right? A mind and heart that sees horror all around, fears on all sides, and one that has experienced the grace and mercy of salvation from sins. Still, he says to God, help me and don't forsake me like I deserve. A man who's been following and is called after God's own heart still says, don't forsake me. Um, Here's what you should not do when everything's hidden and you're confused and you don't know what to do in life. Um, Here's what you should not do is the opposite of what David does, which would be what? Um, Sit around and depressively let your mind run wild with all the things that are happening to you. And you think, I'm saved, but these things are just going to happen. Just going to have to endure it. You know, you wallow in that and self-pity 
panicked, afraid, confused, hysterical, no way, no way out, not looking for help. I'm depressed. I'm in a season. I'm struggling. And then that's, that's all you got. No, right? That's not what David does, right? When stuff hits your life, remember, you don't deserve mercy. You don't deserve to be out of it. But also remember that he said in this same chapter, seek my face. So are you seeking his face? And go to him and ask for him for deliverance and wait on him. Wait on that. Don't just wait, but wait on God, right? Our default is to stare at the problems and either blame God and get angry at him or to wallow in self-pity. And neither entitlement or self-affliction uh, is accepting what God has for us, for us. Both of these things are self-justification. We're trying to justify ourselves and not going to God for that. We got to focus more on God helping us through situations and not focus all of our attention on ourselves and getting out of the problem. Because ultimately, God is sovereign. And like Job said to his wife when she was telling him to curse God, he said, shall I accept the good events from the Lord and not also the bad events? In all this, Job did not sin or blame God with, evil, with wrongdoing. If God allows his child to go through something, he will give them what they need to endure it. And it will be for a greater glory than what you can see in the moment of that trial, right? In the middle of the storm, whatever, whatever it is, obviously you want out of it, right? Nobody is like, I can't wait for another storm in life. You know, I can't wait for, you know, whatever. We want out. David wanted out, you know, in the Psalm, it's clear. He wanted out. Obviously, Jesus wanted out, right? What's, the, what's one of the main storms Jesus went through right before the crucifixion? He's in the garden praying. There's another way, God. Like, I, I, you know, let this cup pass from me is what he said. Um, but then he follows with not my will, but yours be done, right? So um, how far will you go to get out of it when you were supposed to stay in it? You're a thorn in the flesh, whatever that thing is. And maybe it wasn't that thorn wasn't supposed to come out for David. It wasn't. God said, David said, I plead, or Paul said, I pleaded with God for him to remove this thorn from my flesh, that whatever the affliction was, he doesn't say, but he says, I, I pleaded several times for it to be removed. God, get me out of this, please. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is shown more in your weakness. By you enduring that thing, I get more glory and it shows more power of your faithful endurance during that trial. You hear that? How much more powerful is that than just getting out of the situation? And, you know, a lot of times we do often check into things um, to get out of stuff, whether that be you know, like I'm thinking of this dread that I have and I think of like, what are the odds, the statistics that can remove myself from the situation, um, medication, therapy, articles, other people that can talk to help me out of it, whatever. It depends on what the issue is. And there's, um, a lot of different types of fears, you know, and here David's talking about armies, opposition, people, evildoers, eat, people that are going to eat up his flesh, whatever that means. A lot of different things like that he goes in, into. Um, and so I, I wanted to bring up a few maybe classifications of things that you may fear. You're, you're going to fall in one of these. I wish I would have made a slide, but I didn't have time for it. But you're going to fall into one of these categories, and there may be multiple of them. Um, and so a few, a few types of things that, that we fear. And I'll start kind of like the more severe type stuff, like PTSD, you know, somebody had a trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, that something happened to their life when they were young. Um, along with unexplainable other phobias, things that I just don't have a great explanation for. Some of y'all may either have these yourself or deal with people who do. Um, a lot of times, these things can be mistaken for or judged incorrectly by others for cowardice or their own sin or lack of faithfulness. Um, 
and your and, and and a wrong word to that person can make them despair, make things worse for them. Um, and because sometimes it's just a medical problem, you know, or or a trauma uh, that w- happened to them, and so there's things there for the way that they're acting or the 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 panic that maybe they need some sort of therapy, something to go through. Um, and I will say this too, uh, if you have something like that that you're thinking through or know somebody like if that's you, um, it might not ever go away on this in this life. The thorn in the flesh, there's certain things that because of the fall, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, our bodies are all going to be subject to sicknesses, hurts. Um, we, all, we all get old. Entropy, the word means disorder, things in the universe tend to disorder and that's going to happen. So there's things in this category that you may never be rid of. You may, you know, you may be able to get help for that. Um, And I would just say this Psalm is for you. Um, Hope in God and wait for him. You know, the end of this chapter, says, wait on God. So spend, spend some time just waiting on God. Um, And I will say also too, if you're thinking about this thing, it's going to end. Uh, it may be the end of, of when Christ comes back or maybe the end of your life, either way. Um, but that problem will go away. Um, and, and God will hold you in that and it will be gone. So um, just know it's, it's a waiting game on that um, and trust him through this till then. Um, another category would just be cowardice, just coward, you know, fear. Um, this, this would be people who are cowards and tend towards this because of weak faith, lack, they lack courage. They probably trust more of themselves. Um, and it does have a sinful origin, like it comes from uh, doubt and distrust of God's power in your life. This may be you, you may be prone towards cowardice. Uh, some people are prone towards anger. It's the sin of anger or, or just, you know, um, uh, somebody who's just demanding or just, you know, there's different tendencies that we have because of our sinful nature. Um, things that do need to be repented of. It also may have developed in your life or someone else's life, this cowardice because of repetitive failures. Like you just keep failing and failing and failing. Um, and other people are succeeding around you. And at some point you're just like afraid to try anymore whatever it may be, um, which we know also repetition of things in our life. If there's a, there's a book I read once called the, the mind and the brain. It talks about um, like pathological disorders of obsessive compulsive disorders, like these people who feel like they're always dirty and they have to wash themselves, wash their hands over and over and over and over. So I, it, it came from their own wrong perception and it developed into a, a brain lapse. And so, um, sometimes that can bleed over, um, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and I would just say too, about if you struggle with being just a coward, um, and that's just, you're just fearful of a lot of things. If that's your struggle, um, this Psalm is for you, right? And God is for you. Um, turn away from your self-reliance, fight against it, repent, um, hope in God, wait for him. And pray that God would lift your head up. Um, sometimes um, if this person is aware of their extreme tendency to be fearful about things in life, if they're aware of it and they're repentant and they keep like fighting against that, this type of person can often become a very courageous person and a strong person. Um, just think about school and like you got some people who, cram the night before a test and they ace the test, right? Three months later, do they remember anything? No. And then you have the other person who worked for, you know, three months studying their heart out and then they make a C or a B. They probably retain more three months. They probably learned more. They probably affected them more. In a similar way, someone who's prone to fear and cowardice, if, they're, if you're fighting against that, God may bring you to some great places. Um, He may really build courage in you later um, because you've worked through things other people never had to work through. 
Um, others may have an easy route to, to not being afraid of anything. It's just naturally, I'm just a very courageous person. Never have to work through anything. There's no, there's no strain there versus the person who's, who's you know, um, just fearful and, and has to crawl their way out of that. And just know this psalm is for you. Um, other types of fear and panics and, and, and things like that is things may happen like that are momentary fears and every one of us is going to go through things like this in life where a circumstance hits your life. Um, the boat's rocking. You think about the disciples in the boat and the storm hitting. It's kind of a good analogy for this type of fear. Um, this person may not be like, gen- you may not be generally prone towards being a coward or have these PTSD type fears or anything like that, but you find yourself in a situation where things are incredibly unstable and being terrified is a half breath away. Like you're, 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 you're there. Um, maybe a financial deficit. It might be a, a sickness or something like that, a news of a diagnosis. Um, the psalm is for you as well. The low-grade hidden fears in our hearts, this is probably going to hit everybody here. Um, you have these low-grade fears you probably aren't aware of. Um, that keep you from stepping out and doing things, whether it's obedience or just new, new things in, in, in faith. It's a, usually a person who's caught up in the busyness of life and is working, functioning, doing, uh, kind of going through the motions of life, um, but they never really step out in faith um, because of fear of risk. I'm afraid of this happening. You know, look at the odds. Um, this person doesn't usually acknowledge to themselves or to others that they are afraid to step out of normal activity. This could be something like evangelism, right? Or going on a mission trip or giving sacrificially or just like, I I don't want to meet up with this person, talk to them about this thing because I don't have anything to offer them or I'm afraid that I won't have the right things to say or fill in the blank, um, and this person with this low-grade hidden fear, typically they avoid exploring or exercising other spiritual gifts. It's kind of justify and keep it down. They maybe avoid speaking up when they should, when they maybe the Holy Spirit screaming, speak up, say something, stuff it down. Fears that other, other fears that we rename as this is who I am, I'm a fr- I don't do these things because I'm this way, which is a cop-out, right? I'm not gifted in such and such thing. Therefore, I'm afraid and I don't want to try. Um, and so you don't, you, you, you sit on your heels. Um, I can think of a previous church I was in where I don't do this a lot, but sometimes I'll go and talk to people on the street and just, I'm not one of the ones that likes to hold the horn, you know, like the, the microphone. Some do that and that's awesome. I'd, feel nervous about that. So, but I do like the one-on-one conversations with people on the streets, just talking. Um, I invited somebody with me and their response was, uh, I'm, I don't, that's not an area I'm gifted in, but they'd never gone before. And so like, there's no way they would even have a clue if that's an area they're gifted in. To, to go and talk to people on the street, you're not gifted in that, you know? Like, I'm, you can talk to other people in other situations, you know? Uh, it was just something they weren't comfortable with, and that's fine. Um, but, but what I'm saying is, the point is not like you should be doing a street evangelism. The point is, like, there may be things you say I'm not good at, but you've just never tried. Um, and so there, there may be some things you need to step out and encourage. Um, and all these things, this psalm is, is, is for you. And a lot of times, you know, we look at things, when we look at the odds, we look at statistics of, like, whatever the issue is that we're, and that's a, that we might find some sort of security in that or like, oh, I know that 99% of the time, like this isn't going to happen. But I can tell you like for people who have the severe phobias and fears, like odds don't help at all. Um, statistics don't help at all with whatever it is. Those things are good at helping you make a wise decision. Like if there's a medical procedure and it's elective and it's got a 50-50, like probably don't do that thing, you know? It's good to have statistics for wise decisions. But at the end of the day, whatever the problem is, the statistics don't have any power to change your situation or give you the strength to endure life. And so like David here, 
And the psalm was a man who continually defied odds, like when he went against Goliath, Absalom, and there's places where there's thousands around him. He's looking at the odds here, right? He says, here's an odds thing in the chapter. He says, there's an army against me, thousands to one, right? Um, And his response is, I'll be confident God is for me. Um, A lot of times we go to therapy, meds, things like that, medications. Um, And uh, don't hear me wrong. Some people say medication, that's trash. Therapy is trash. Counseling is trash. We just need God's word or, or, or whatever. And I'm not saying that. Like I'm saying physical problems, PTSD, other issues. Sometimes you need a medication to fix your broken body, right? So if there's something you've struggled with, there might be some counseling or something that could really help you. Um, some of these problems are your own fault or lack of trust. Can develop pathways, cause you to have other problems. Um, and you should use what you can to stabilize yourself um, all within the context of doing whatever it takes for you to function and to focus on the higher things, follow God. Another thing I'm not saying is that there are some things in life that fall outside of the Christian life and outside of what God can help and what God's word can help. I'm not saying that, not at all. Uh, We don't have time to flesh all that out, what that would look like, but God's word is sufficient to help us through all things, but God's word itself will not remove a brain tumor, right? Like, I mean, the Bible won't remove the tumor. His word, God's literally healing someone may may fix it, Um, or his word and and him working through a skilled surgeon may fix it. Um, All of this is orchestrated by him. But there are things that, that therapies and medications and things that, and surgeries, whatever, that can help. Uh, I would also argue that if we don't have God's word in the world, um, if that would have never come to us, there would never have been a surgeon that would successfully have removed a brain tumor. But that's that's kind of another thing for another day. So, um, Okay, well, I want to focus a little bit on verse 4. We, we totally jumped over verse 4. So I'm going to read that one again as we wrap up here. But verse 4 says, um, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Um, and this is really the hinge of, of the whole chapter. It's kind of the, the focal point. The dead center of David's confidence is seeing God's beauty. So his beauty, com- his confidence in God comes from staring and gazing at God's beauty. That's it. So like, you know, I'm, when I read this, I was like, how, how is staring at God's beauty a confidence builder, you know? Um, honestly, the verse kind of uh, like, I don't know if annoyed is the right word. When I first read it, I was like, it kind of rem- reminded me of like all of these superhero movies or whatever, where there's a moment and there's everything's going bad. Like the Avengers movie, you know, maybe Thanos is about to snap his finger and everything's about to go south. And then like the girl and the guy, like they take a moment to reconcile in the slow-mo moment and like kiss or something like that. And it's like this beautiful moment and chaos. I'm like, just get the thing, like finish, you know, finish the thing, don't stop. And I mean, this verse is kind of like interrupts this chapter. It's like right in the middle of like armies all around, blah, 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 all this stuff. And David's talking about God's beauty and staring at God's beauty and how that is what gives him confidence. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, he wants to live in that. He wants to stare at it and be curious that, that's what he, he wants to do. It means, um, he, he also said he wants to inquire, which means asking things, which means praying, um, staring, which gazing, um, reading, understanding, learning, um, but gazing at God's beauty. And that, that's, that's the real deal. And, like, and if you think about it, isn't that what we all want to do all the time is gaze at something beautiful, right? Whatever that may be, it's pleasurable to gaze and to focus our attention on whatever's beautiful, right? And at his core, what David is saying is the key to all his confidence, which is his desire to have pleasure in God's beauty. And before you check out, because you you can't really connect maybe an invisible God to beauty, um, I want you to think about um, someone you cherish, specific person in your life. Maybe it's your brother, maybe it's your sister, or maybe your spouse, someone you admire or cherish. Think about that person for just a minute and get them, you got them in your head, right? So you're thinking about that person. Um, 
Now imagine they die for you, okay? So we're thinking about beauty. I'm using this illustration to help wrap our head around it, God's beauty. They die for you. Fully knowing what they're um, getting into, they, they you know, kind of like a Will Smith seven pounds thing, but without all the ethical problems. He, he planned out this way to like love these people. And so this person did this for you. They planned out that this person you had made is your brother. They died because they love you, um, which means so much, right? Um, your brother suffered for you. Your brother suffered. Now, like, they suffered for the thing you screwed up, right? You screwed up something bad, and then that person willingly chose to suffer in your place before you could stop them. And you would have stopped him. Like, if you knew that, that person, you know, was going to go die for you, you would have done everything you can to, like, no, I deserve this. Um, your brother suffered on the cross for your screw-ups. And so Jesus did that so he could call you his brother and his friend, right? He died for you and your screw-ups. Um, sacrificial substitution, right? There's nothing more beautiful than that. You just scroll through any movie, whether it's, it's, always, it's always focused about, around sacrifice. Any epic movie that we call beautiful is almost always focused on that. The world gets it on that level. Braveheart, Saving Private Ryan, Lord of the Rings, whatever it might be, the Elizabeth Elliot story, like all those are beautiful because of sacrifice. Um, everybody in the world sees the ripples of what Jesus did, um, the, the, the ripples of sacrifice, and we see it all over the world. The whole world loves the ripples. We love to stare at that, but they... Um, Jesus was the stone drop in the water that caused it all. That's the, the, the central sacrifice. That's the kind of beauty that David is talking about here. All of God's attributes, everything God is, is it's beautiful. But at the core of it all, at the middle, his special loving sacrifice towards you, um, that's, that's what we should gaze at and long for and continue to think about. And when it gets distant from you, like, I want it more. Go back to that. And so, like John Piper says, he calls himself a Christian hedonist. A hedonist means someone who loves pleasure. They seek their own pleasure. Like that's what we should be about, but having our pleasure in God, right? Um, it's good to seek pleasure when the pleasure is in the right thing. Like the catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why David in verse, this verse can say, I, I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, um, that gives him confidence. So for, for you, sorry, like I know, I know that's like not incredibly practical to you say, stare at God's beauty, seek his face to help you with your fears. But as much as you can, um, go and learn what that means. Um, inquire into that. Um, and um, I'm gonna read one verse, or actually a, a, a quote from a guy named uh, John Patton, who kind of talks about this and God's sovereignty and, and, and the storm that he was enduring. And um, the quote from here is, is, you know, thinking about whatever fears you may face and the, the bo the, your body and what it may go through and, and whatever, whatever that might be. Um, and his kind of quote was like, you're immortal until God brings you home. Like you're, you're this is what he said. He said, um, my heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all the scene. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that I was immortal till my master's work was with me was done. The, the assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken, that not a musket would be fired to wound us, not a club prevail to strike us, not a spear leave the hand in which it was held, vibrating to be thrown. Not an arrow leave the bow or a killing stone the fingers without the permission of Jesus Christ, whose is all power in heaven and on earth. He rules all nature, animate and inanimate, and restrains even the savage of the South Seas. So um, you are immortal until he is ready to bring you home. From now until then, God will give you courage as you wait on him and focus on his beauty. So it's something you can bank on. So I'll pray, and then um, Brad's going to uh, lead us in a song. Go from there. Uh, so, Father, as we finish, Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, God, I pray 
that your word would prevail in our hearts. Um, God, I just um, do pray that you would give each person here courage in uh, their specific situation, um, in their trial, um, and, and also hope, God, that in what may come, that they would self-talk in a way that's confirming who you are and who you are to them, and that they would place hope in front of themselves, that we would all do this. God, I pray and thank you for David's example. Um, God, let us wait on you, um, inquire in your temple, gaze at your beauty. Lord, I pray. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.